Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. We have uh, the delight of having Hannah Bettany, who's going to come and speak to us this morning. So I'm going to invite her up and I'm going to pray from a distance as she's here. Uh, So Father, I thank you so much for Hannah. I thank you for the word that you've put on her heart and um, just give her boldness as she speaks to speak a real word in season to us. And may uh, Spirit, you give us ears to hear what you're saying and hearts to receive it. Father, we want to leave this morning um, changed because we've encountered you and your word and we want to be people who are sent from this time together uh, being more empowered to trust and obey all that you've called us to in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Anna. Thank you, Pete. Amen. So, good morning. Um, as Pete said, my name's Hannah and I'm on the staff team here at Ivy. But before I worked at Ivy, I worked um, for six years in women's prison. Well, I worked in lots of different prisons, but I was responsible for the work in women's prison. And that meant that I was involved in the chaplaincy team in prison and I would often do their Sunday services. And so I started to get quite used to doing that, to preaching um, on a Sunday morning. And uh, I loved it. I always loved the reactions. It was a bit different to speaking in a church because you'd often have people kind of, if you asked a question, they didn't know that it was rhetorical and that I was really trying to ask you to think about it for yourself. And they'd just answer what they thought and shout it out. Or if you said that, you know, you happened to be on a street somewhere the day before they'd want to know what street that was and had they been there because they think they'd been there and it was a lot of fun and so I got kind of used to it but this one Sunday I was speaking in a style women's prison and I was uh, just kind of the whole time feeling a little bit on edge because there was one lady one young woman who was sat um, halfway back who was just eyeballing me the whole time She kept rocking back on her chair with her arms folded and just staring at me. And so I tried to ignore it and just carry on. And yet she came up to me at the end of the talk and came right up to me and kind of got in my face and said, have you been saying that if if things are hard, we need to go toward God and not away from him? Is that what you've been saying just now? And I was like, yeah, that's it. That's what I've been saying. And she said, well, then you need to come and see me every day. And so I was like, okay, I can come see you. Let's have a chat. So the next day I went to see her and I found that she lived on the mother and baby unit because she'd come into prison pregnant and had her baby and you're allowed to keep your baby with you if it's determined that that's the safest and best thing to do for that child. Then you can have your baby in with you till they're 18 months old. But for this young woman, we realised that the problem, the hard time that she was having was the fact that actually her baby was about to turn 18 months And therefore, what's decided is that the child needs to either go to family or if they can't go to family, they need to go into foster care. And yet, for Emma, the lady that I was speaking to, her her, um, time that she was going to be out of prison was just another month and a half. And so she didn't have any family that her daughter could go to and her daughter would have gone into care, which would have made the process of getting her back even longer. And so her desperation was, I just want to keep my daughter with me for another month and a half. Would you come and pray with me every day about this? And so that's what I did. For the following two weeks up to panel, I met her, whether we walked with her daughter around the prison, whether we met in the chapel or whether I went to her room, we would pray every day for this court case. And yet the hard thing that happened was that throughout those two weeks, I'd love to say that it got easier and that loads of great things happened, but actually things got harder for Emma. 
There was a lot of different allegation things that had been thrown around. There was things made up that weren't true. There were staff changes that meant that people who could have written references changed. It just felt like it was going from bad to worse. And I was like, God, I'm meeting with this woman. I really could do with this going a lot better than it's going. And actually what happened was the day um, just before the, the panel date to meet with the governor for him to decide whether she could have her daughter with her, we found out that actually this governor that Emma had known and built rapport with and felt a bit confident that maybe he would help her, we found out that actually he'd already left. And he'd left two weeks ago. And so when I met Emma, the man who she thought would actually be able to decide her fate had already left. And so it would be decided by a group of people in a room that she didn't know, and she had no idea how this was going to turn out. And so when I went to visit her that day... She said, you can talk to him, but I'm not speaking to him. I've told him, I've told him, I'm not talking to him no more, so you can talk to him, Hannah. I'll listen, but I'm not speaking to them. And how often do we feel like that? That actually, maybe we feel like we've been left by God. Maybe we feel like he's not listening. Maybe we feel like, I just, I'm abandoned here. And that's how we find a lady called Naomi. Naomi, we find in the book in the Bible of Ruth. Now, Naomi, um, when she was younger, she had married and she'd lived in Bethlehem. And then in a time of famine, she'd chosen to leave Bethlehem and go and live in Moab. But the people of Moab were kind of enemies to those that lived in Bethlehem. And they weren't, they weren't respected, they weren't liked. And yet for this family, they had um, two sons who got married to women who were from Moab, Moabite women. And things looked good until, sadly and tragically, Naomi's husband died. And not only did he die, but both of her sons died. And therefore, Naomi was left a widow herself and a widow and with two widowed daughters. And for Naomi, there was not really a lot of hope. Because in those times, your family was everything. The man that you um, were married to was everything. And so for her, she, had, she was too old to remarry. She didn't have a hope of doing that again. And she also had no family to fall back on. She had nothing. And so the best decision for her would be to go back to the home place of Bethlehem that she'd come from. So for her, that was the best choice. But for her daughters-in-law, for Orpah and for Ruth, that was a very dangerous decision because they would be despised and hated. And so for them, she doesn't want them to come with her. She urges them, stay with your family. Make a new life for yourself. There's a future for you. I have nothing to offer you. God has left me. Just go back to where you came from. And that's where we meet them in Ruth 1, 14. It says, at this, they wept aloud again. All the women wept aloud together. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. See, for Ruth, this was no small choice. This wasn't a little decision to just be nice and go along with her mother-in-law. This was a huge decision because of the danger that it meant for her in going to Bethlehem. 
And we see this later on in the book of Ruth as we meet a man called Boaz, who I'll talk about in a moment. But he says to Ruth when she comes to work in his field, he's the owner of a field that she works in. And he says in Ruth 2.9, I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. So he has to actually order and command his men not to hurt Ruth. And Naomi backs this up later on when she says to Ruth, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for Boaz because in someone else's field you'll be harmed. So the danger was very real for Ruth. And yet she chooses to leave her home, her future prospects, a chance at a new life for instead the choice of loyal love of Naomi. And I often think there must have been something maybe really special about Naomi for Ruth to choose to do that, for Ruth to choose to loyally love this woman. And yet the Naomi that we meet here is someone that is just full of sorrow. And when they head back to Bethlehem, Naomi greets those who are excited to see her back by saying, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Her name meant sweet. And so she does a play on her own name and says, don't call me sweet. Nothing about my life and where I've ended up is sweet. Call me bitter. Because for Naomi, she saw the tragedy in her life as God having left her. And this is really hard to feel, isn't it? that she feels, I was full, but now I'm empty. And maybe for us, we can look at the losses even in the past year since the pandemic and see that actually before all of this, my life felt full. Before COVID, I could go and see family and I could see friends and stuff that I totally took for granted of having a meal in a friend's house. That felt feels now like I was full. I had opportunity. I had the thought of maybe a holiday that actually there were things that were positive. And even within church, I can look at Ivy Sharston videos from back uh, even just a year ago, and I look at those videos and think, we were full. Things were brilliant. People were getting saved. There was a full building of people worshipping together, and now it's empty and it's spread out and it's hard. But I wonder today, maybe there's more to the story of what God is doing, both for us and for Naomi. See, for Naomi to walk back into Bethlehem and say, I'm empty, when she was walking in with this treasure next to her, she's walking back in with a woman who has said, I am clinging to you, a woman that's committed her life to her, that she misses this beautiful sign of hope that God has placed right next to her, that she's actually not empty and she's not walking back alone. She's walking in with someone who loves her, who has clung to her. And I pray this morning that our eyes will be open to see the signs of hope that God has put in our lives. Because we're in this year of mercy, as Pete said, we're in this series looking at mercy. And the more that I see of this, and I'm learning from the different people that have spoken, I'm seeing that it's not just, mercy is not just what God does, but it's who he is. And we learn that through one aspect of the word mercy, which the word for it is hesed. If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently describe God's character in this way. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, 
overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at this fourth phrase, loyal love. It translates the Hebrew word chesed, which is hard to translate into any language because it combines the ideas of love, generosity, and enduring commitment all into one. Chesed describes an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. Like in the story of Ruth, Ruth is a foreigner married to an Israelite man, but tragically, her husband dies along with his brother and his father. All Ruth has left is her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi, who has nothing to give her. Naomi tells Ruth she should go back to her people, but instead, Ruth promises to stay by Naomi's side and take care of her. And as other people watch Ruth keep this promise over time, they call it an act of chesed. Notice that Ruth's chesed is not conditional or based on Naomi's worth. Rather, it's an expression of Ruth's character. She just is a generous and loving person who keeps her word. That's chesed. Now, Ruth's loyal love is truly inspiring, but the one who shows the most enduring chesed in the Bible is God. So I thought that it must be something amazing about Naomi for Ruth to show this loyal love to her. But in fact, the Bible tells us through this word that it's actually the character of who Ruth was, that she was a person who just poured out mercy, who just poured out loyal love. And I think that actually makes the reading of it a little bit harder for us. Because it's easier to think she was this, Naomi was this beautiful woman who had obviously loved Ruth really well and therefore of course Ruth clung to her and Ruth just wanted to stay with her. When actually all that we see of Naomi is a bitter woman, is a difficult woman, is a woman who's wanting to just shirk her off and say leave me be. And sometimes for us we can come across people who are really difficult, who are hard to love, yet we feel God's maybe called us to be alongside these people and yet when they want to shirk us off, we can think, good, I don't have to try and help you anymore, I'm going to just let that one go. And yet actually what we're called to is this chesed love, this loyal love. And I loved last week hearing from Sarah as she spoke about the Eden teams and how they move on to estates and they work with people and they just move in alongside. But something that really stood out to me was something that Jen said in her testimony. Because she said, I don't think, I don't like calling them Eden because they're my friends and they've actually become my family. And when I heard that, I thought, yes, that is the beauty of Eden is actually not that these people leave where they could live in a posh area and go and live somewhere that's a bit more difficult. It's the fact that they move in because they want to loyally love the people that they're alongside. And what I've seen over the years as I've watched and seen and been a part of Eden is that actually that is what people do. They live in community and they love people even when they're so difficult to love and when things get messy and when things get hard, they're still there. They're the ones that are constantly there with them, loving them. And it's through that love, it's through that chesed, loyal love that they show that people see Jesus. Because it's not only Ruth in the Bible that we see who has this chesed love. Actually, it's all true of God. That is who he is. And just as Ruth clung to Naomi, God is clinging to us. It says in his word that he sticks closer than a brother. And there's so many times in the Bible that we see this word chesed described as it says mercy. If we carry on watching that video, we'll see so many examples, but some of them are that for Jacob, 
See, God restores the blessing to Jacob after the mess that he has made. And Jacob says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercy that you have shown me. And the word mercy there is, I am not worthy of all the hesed that you have shown me. I'm not worthy of the loyal love. And actually he's right, he's not worthy. None of us are worthy of the mercy that God shows. And yet it's who he is. And so it comes time and again. We see it again with the Israelites as they um, have been slaves under Pharaoh and then God remembers his promise and he saves them. And it says in the Bible that that was done as an act of chesed, an act of loyal love. But the Israelites, they doubt God and they want a new leader. And so they um, come against Moses, yet Moses says, forgive them God because of your chesed. Not because of them, not because they deserve it, but because it's who you are, God, that you are a merciful, loving God. And because he is, he does. And even when, again, they don't respond with hesed time and again through the Bible, and I'm sure for us in our lives, we're thinking of time after time that we don't respond to God with that loyal love, yet his hesed remains, his loyal love for us remains. Hosea actually compares people, our hesed, to the morning mist that is here one minute and gone the next. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can. That I'm so for God, I'm so wanting to just love him in return and then something else happens and I think, where even are you? But I don't want to be like that. I want this chesed love to be how I love God in return. See, God's love is enduring. And another way that we see this word chesed is in Psalm 136 that you might know. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His chesed is forever. His loyal love is forever. And just to reiterate that, it says it 26 times over and over again that his love is forever. And so as we look at the story of Ruth and Naomi, we need to recognise that actually it's through this lens that we see our God. Because there's... um, times in this where I can't go into all four chapters and read you the whole Bible uh, story here, but there's things that we see as a pattern that happen with Ruth and Naomi. It kind of looks like this. Ruth and Naomi make a plan, they have a chance meeting with Boaz, and they celebrate with joy. So we see it in that they have a plan to try and find some work because they're desperate and hungry. And then Ruth, it says in the Bible, happens upon the field of Boaz. And so they celebrate with kindness. Uh, They celebrate his kindness to them. Then we see that they have a plan to see if he will be their kinsman redeemer, if he'll redeem them and bring them their land back. And then we have the chance meeting of Ruth with Boaz on the threshing floor, and he agrees to help them, so they celebrate with joy. And again, we see there being a plan that they both make for marriage. And Boaz does marry Ruth and the beautiful ending of within their marriage, they then have a son and Naomi's family is restored. And again, for Boaz to choose to help Ruth is no small thing. He is the kinsman redeemer. He's the only one who could have bought their land back apart from one other man who will refuse to do it. He will refuse to do it because of Ruth because he doesn't want anything to do with Ruth. He doesn't want his family corrupted by this Moabite woman. And so that the only person who could have done it would have been this other man. And yet for Boaz, he chooses to love Ruth. 
and to marry Ruth. And at his own economic disadvantage, he buys back the land and restores that family. Yet Boaz shows this loyal love to Ruth because of the great love that he has seen Ruth show to Naomi. The book of Ruth opens with this great act of loyalty of Ruth to Naomi, which gets matched by Boaz's great love of Ruth. And it's all pointing to the loyalty of God's love to us. And so we see so much, all of this is pointing to God's love of us. That even in times where it can feel like, are you listening? Are you there? This feels hard. Are you frowning or are you smiling? That actually what we see time and again is that God always is smiling over you. And I love, I heard this um, poem this week from William Cowper and um, it says this. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. And so I'm there in prison with Emma. And everything is looking terrible and she's not speaking to God anymore because he's not listening to her, she feels. And so I pray for her one last time and she goes to the panel meeting. And she's in this room with people she doesn't know thinking this is all going very wrong. And then they pull out her file, pop it on the table and open it up to start going through all the different things that have been happening. Until they look down and read and say, oh, this has actually already been signed off. The governor signed this before he left to say, yes, your daughter can stay with you. And so over two weeks before, probably on a day that she came to me and said, we need to pray every day, the governor had already signed to say, your daughter can remain with you in prison. And so actually for those two weeks where it felt so hard, where it felt so lost, where everything felt like it was going wrong, God had already signed the yes. And I wonder for us, sometimes it can be two weeks of it feeling like, what are you doing? Sometimes it's two years, sometimes it's so much longer. But actually, if we trust in the loyal love of God, then we will always look back and see his faithfulness. We will always look back and see, wow, you were working on my behalf. You were weaving in between the stories. See, this book of Ruth, it doesn't actually at any point say there was a booming voice in which God said, thus saith the Lord, you must marry Boaz and do this and that. that. There wasn't that. And I love this story because it shows for us that actually even if we don't have a booming voice, we have got a God who is weaving everything together for our good and ultimately for a much bigger plan. Those of us that love Jesus are part of a much bigger plan for the redemption of this world, just as Naomi was, just as Ruth is. Because we see that for the story of Ruth and Naomi, he had a plan. And we see in Ruth 4 that it ends with everyone praising God and saying, praise the Lord who this day has not left you, Naomi, without a redeemer. See, Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus. Because Boaz and Ruth had a son called Obed, 
who was granddad to King David. And from King David's line all the way down, then comes the Messiah, the chosen one, Jesus. And her being in that, in that lineage, her being named in the genealogy in Matthew 1 means that actually everyone that's named is pointing towards the one that is to come. And so just as Ruth, we see that she looks at Naomi and says, if I keep my life, then Naomi loses hers. So I will give my life away so that Naomi can get one. I will take her poverty on myself. I will take her marginality on myself. I will become poor so that through my poverty, she may become rich. And that's what happened. Ruth left her father's house, left her own country. She became an outsider. She became a suffering servant. She became someone who was rejected and despised. Does this remind you of anyone that you know? The sight of this, the sight of this hesed, of this loyal love, changed Boaz and he did the same in loving Ruth. How much more so should this point us to the one and make it us change because of the one that she points to of Jesus? For his great love for us, for his great love for you, he left his throne He emptied himself, he died for you. He left the ultimate riches and took on ultimate poverty. He was an outsider, despised and rejected. And this isn't something for us to just hear today. This is something for us to feel and allow to change us. That we would decide that we too want to say that I am not empty, I am full. Because I am full of the loyal love that the Lord has shown me. And therefore, I'm going to choose to love like he does. To love him in return and to love those around me with this loyal love that says, I am clinging to you because the Lord is clinging to me so that we will see people loved into eternity. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you gave your life so that we might have life. And so today, our response, our only response that we can give is to say that we want to give you our lives in return so that others can live. And Lord, I speak to anyone right now who is in that place of pain saying, but I felt so full and now I'm empty. Lord, I pray that you would just pour your presence into each home right now, that you would pour your love in Lord, that whatever we see, that actually there's a far bigger story that you're painting, that you're always weaving, that you're always doing something more, that just as for Ruth, she happened upon the field of the one man who could redeem everything for her family. That Jesus, there are signs of hope around us right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see what you're doing, that you would restore hope and that you would restore us today to give our lives to you and to live for you so that we can see people loved into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.